You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Amen. Well, again, I want to uh, welcome you here this morning, especially if you're our guest visiting with us here today. Uh, thanks for being a part of our live stream. I do want to thank Dave Atkins, too. I thought he did a phenomenal job last week with his message of hope from Hosea, uh, especially when it came to kind of defining the difference between sacrifice and mercy. Um, as many of you stated in the chat, his vulnerability was awesome. I do want to say, though, Mary, when it came to Dave clarifying sacrifice versus mercy in the realm of him maybe potentially on occasion hurting you and uh, acknowledging and just saying, you know what, here's 50 bucks. We're good, right? I do want to say next time, Mary, take the money, then call us. <laughs> but we are uh, continuing our series today, uh, Finding Hope, which today's title is, uh, the message today's title is Malachi's Modern Message. So uh, please go ahead and turn there with me, scroll there with me, click there with me, whatever it is that your particular Bible is a part of today, as we uh, take a look at this book of the Old Testament, starting out in chapter 1. You might be wondering and kind of questioning me a little bit on the uh, title this morning, in that Malachi's modern message, how can it be modern? And I think many people look at the Old Testament scriptures particularly, uh, the major minor prophets, and we can see this as being kind of an antiquated form of historical literature that was penned thousands of years ago, and no, there's no way at all there could be any possible application to our life today. And I'm speaking from experience, that was definitively me 30 years ago. 30 years ago, I hadn't made the decision to make Jesus Christ Lord of my life yet. I was agnostic. Uh, some of the Old Testament stories I thought were kind of cool, especially the battles, you know, and, you know, the underdogs taking on these incredible odds, David and Goliath, that kind of thing, and, you know, made for great reading. But, again, that was over 30 years ago, and I think one of the things that we're going to be able to see this morning is the prophets like Malachi or any of the major or minor prophets or any book of Scripture, when it comes to just being a great story or an account, no, there's so much more going on there, and that it couldn't be any further from the truth to think that this incredible book that has been compiled through the centuries could give us any insight into life. Major, major fallacy there. The very last of the 12 minor prophets is Malachi, or uh, Malici, as I like to say. I, I personally believe he was the first Italian prophet who delivered the message about 100 years after Haggai and Zechariah. I, I don't know why we use the hard C there uh, in the pronunciation of the name, but anyways, Haggai and Zechariah as we know, deliver God's message to the people of Judah. And this was after they had returned from 70 years in exile in Babylon. And the people there had been tasked with rebuilding God's temple, but in a lot of different ways there were a lot of different issues. Initially they met with opposition from warring tribes around them, and they became discouraged. And ultimately they stopped working and they succumbed to selfishness and sin. And with Haggai and Zechariah, they both delivered this message of encouragement and hope about the need for repentance. And as a response to their godly repentance, the new temple was completed, which is really kind of cool. Uh, the people being able to have a place that they could actually worship God again. So one year later, though, one of the things that we see is that the people have fallen into sin again. And I think one of the things that this definitively shows us is that we humans have relatively short spans of memory. So this time, we see God raise up Malachi to confront them with their sins, 
called him to return to him and warn them of the coming day of the Lord. So the, the outcome for those who refused to surrender their hearts to God wasn't really good. But for those who gave themselves to God and wholeheartedly continued to choose to do good over and over and over again, learning and growing, the outcome would be amazing. And this is what's promised in this particular book. Uh, we're going to go ahead this morning and start out uh, the end of the book, Malachi 4, in verse 1. So if you'd turn there with me or watch on, on the screen. While you're doing that, I'm going to wet the pipes here. Malachi 4, <clears throat> verse 1. It says, Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. That is a good thing. I, I personally haven't seen a calf frolic. Uh, I've seen colts, uh, baby horses, whatever they could call them, get out and frolic in the field. But it's a good feeling. They get out, and it, it's just awesome to be able to have that freedom and to run. And, you know, again, getting back to God's Word, in Hebrews 4, verse 12, where most of us are pretty familiar with this, it tells us that God's Word is living and active. And ultimately, what does that mean for each and every one of us here today? God's Word is alive as is God. And he's not blind or deaf any more so today in our 21st century society than he was back then. And really having that understanding that the minor prophets are overflowing with societal, practical truths that are relevant for each and every one of us today. The messages within God's words are timeless because the truth of God is timeless and the truth of God always speaks to the human condition as we'll see in Malachi's prophecy here this morning. That that human condition, that human nature, has not really changed that much from Malachi's day to where we're at today. And especially when it comes to the fact that we live in a fallen state. But what we see through this fallen state is this amazing grace of God. And in need, we are in need of this unfailing love of God and the generous mercy and faithful grace and love and salvation that he provides for us. So Malachi is a book maybe short. But it has a lot to say in its four short chapters, and I'm going to try and nail that all for you here this morning. Right. The reality of it is in the Hebrews text, it's only three chapters. Those last final verses, not quite sure why they broke them out, but anyway. So he has a lot to say about the social and political and the religious compromise of both his day and age, and ultimately the ages to come, including the age in which we live today. The message is contemporary, and it's equally convicting when it comes to what was spoken 25 years ago, but when we'll see the actual application today. So when the Israelites first returned from their exile, their hopes were high, this, uh, this ability to return home and rebuild their lives and rebuild the temple and all the great promises of the prophets. Ultimately, they're really holding on to the fact that this was going to come true for them and that the Messiah would come and set up a kingdom over a unified Israel and over all the nations and ultimately bring peace. Now, think about that for a minute. Doesn't that sound absolutely amazing? You know, imagine for a minute how they were feeling. For, for those of us that, you know, just thinking back to when we first were baptized as young Christians, how inspired we were, really feeling like we we're going to get out there and we we're going to change the entire world. Think about this right now. What if Jesus were to show up in the United States today? 
and he were to tell you, I'm setting shop up in the U.S., and you guys are going to be this amazing global power. Peace is going to come to all nations. We're going to be in a situation where there'll be justice for all. There'll be no poverty. There'll be no one with, suffering from any form of disabilities. Amen. No discrimination. But hope, peace, joy, that's going to rule the day. How would you feel about that? I think that's exactly what the Israelites were hoping for. But instead, because of their unfaithfulness to God just like the generations before them, their unfaithfulness, this not trusting God, but trusting in themselves, and enabled them to continue in a very area that they wouldn't want to. You know, they continued to inflict injustice on one another. They continued to find themselves separated from God and impoverished. And if our nation was one nation truly under God, living in accordance with God had established, there'd be no poor, there'd be no social injustice, there wouldn't be any divisiveness. And that, knowing what's going on today, that should tell us as Christians how important the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And how this is a message that needs to get out in this day and time more so than any other day and time. You know, the uh, book of Malachi is designed as a series of disputes. And this is what we're going to look at this morning. Most of the sections begin with God saying something, making a claim or an accusation, and then Israel disagreeing with them. And then we have the opportunity to see God respond and offer the last word when it comes to whatever the dispute was. And this happens six times. So what we see here is this kind of debate or argument going on between God and his people. In the first three disputes, God exposes Israel's corruption. And in the final three disputes, God confronts their corruption. So we get to see this exposure of lifestyle and then the net result of what that looks like. So the overall impression we get from these arguments and disputes is that the exile fundamentally didn't change anything in the people. Israel's hearts are even hardened more so. And I know that's how it can be for me, and I appreciate this time of year to be able to have the opportunity to assess all the things that I've been blessed with, all the things that God has done for me, because I know that over the 30 years of being a Christian, there are those instances where I've lost sight of what God has done for me. And when this happens, you know, I start to feel entitled. Um, and that leads to arrogance. And then it starts to cross over my relationships, whether it's with my wife or my kids or some of those that I'm even close to because I've lost sight of how amazing God is and I can get caught up in all this minutiae around me that sidetracks me and distracts me and I started thinking much more about myself than I do anyone else. So as we come up with Thanksgiving, I think we all need to ask ourselves, am I as grateful as the love, mercy, and grace that God has extended to me? Does my gratitude and does my thankfulness align with the love, grace, mercy, and sacrifice of God. You know, from time to time, it's good to ask ourselves these questions. And I, that's what I love so much about Dave's message last week. What God finds significant in the relationship he has with us is not going through the motions, but where is my heart at? Where is your heart at this morning? What is the condition of your heart? So we're going to go ahead and move on here to look at one of the, uh, well, the first dispute in Malachi Chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. And God puts it out there. He says, I have loved you, says the Lord. And then the dispute starts. But you ask, how have you loved us? 
So God reminds them how graciously he chose the family of Jacob, their ancestor, become this carrier of God's covenant promises instead of Esau's brother and the family that they came from, who eventually that family came to ruin. And there are the accounts from Genesis in the book of Obadiah. So right from the very first dispute, Israel is exposed as being suspicious and doubting God's love and faithfulness. In the second dispute, it takes place from Malachi 1, uh, 6 through chapter 2, verse 9. And what it does is it exposes a problem with Israel's second temple. God accuses the people of despising and defiling his temple. And the people fire back, well, how have we despised you? Whoops. So God responds by focusing on the people and how they're bringing these shamefully lame offerings of these sick, blemished animals that show that they, they don't value or honor God. But it's not just the people. It turns into the religious leaders, the Levitical priests, were doing the same thing, those that ran the temple. Not only did they tolerate what was going on with the Israelites, but they participated in these corrupt forms of worship. Now, what would this look like for us today? You know, we give God our leftovers when we're half-hearted, when we're not giving ourselves wholeheartedly to God and his mission, but giving the best of ourselves to the world or to our jobs rather than to God, his people, and the lost. You know, when we're stingy with our time or our money, we compromise or misprioritize by putting God's kingdom second, third, or fourth instead of first. Are we really any different than the Israelites? And yes, I realize misprioritize isn't in the English lexicon, but I like the way it sounds. And for me, it works a whole lot better than disregarded, underestimated, forgotten, ignored, overlooked, undervalued, abandoned, or unappreciated. Misprioritized. If God's kingdom isn't first in our lives, it's because ultimately we have prioritized other things as being more important. And mark my words, it'll be in the English lexicon someday. Yeah. So God tells them, and maybe that was a little arrogant, I'll take that back. <laughs> so God tells them, then shows them from top to bottom, God's people have proven to be faithless. Let's go ahead and pick up in Malachi 1, uh, verses 10 through 14. And this really gives us some insight as to the hurt that God's experiencing here when it comes to, again, the love and mercy he's poured out. This is the extreme that he would go to. This is what he's feeling here. He says, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors. Shut the temple doors so that you would not use and light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I'll accept no offering from your hands. And we drop down to verse 13. It says, when you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Curses the cheat who has an unacceptable or acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. You know, this isn't in my notes that Jackie edited, and I may hear something about this later, but <laughs> I, I am feeling a little inspired by the Holy Spirit here. And that, you know, when we think this through, with these animals, you know, we, we, we read it, you know, they're lame, they're disabled, they're, they've got issues. Can you imagine, now I prepare our Thanksgiving dinner every year. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine me walking into the household and say I'm a turkey rancher? Okay, I got this flock of turkeys and there's this amazing prize hen that I have. And I decided, but you know what, I got this little run over here that's got these oozing blemishes. Yeah. 
it, it's, it's got molted feathers. And you know what? I'm going to save that one for something else, but I'm bringing this, this, this oozing, diseased turkey to my household. Imagine, imagine doing this for somebody that was significant or important. You know, would you do it for, uh, whatever, a, you know, a mayor in your town or, you know, somebody that you're trying to impress? No. And not only that, but they had vowed their best. And they brought their worst. You know, in the second dispute, God calls out the Levitical priesthood for having turned away from God's covenant with Levi. I mean, it's just amazing the extreme that it went to with these people. But we've got to be careful because it's easy to throw stones and look at the Israelites and say, yeah, you know what, I wouldn't do that. Is that true? Because I know myself, I've slipped into some of those things personally. So God calls out the Levitical priesthood for allowing this to take place as well. So we see in the third dispute, Malachi 2, verses 10 through 16, God accused the Israelite men of treachery against them and their wives, which, of course, they deny again. And God exposes this toxic example of idolatry and divorces taking place. The, you know, the Israelite men were marrying non-Israelite women. And you may, you may be thinking, well, what's the issue with that? Well, the issue with that is God's people were called to worship him. And you have these pagan nations around them. And these men just decided, you know what, I'm kind of done with this woman. I'm getting on to the next one. And they started marrying outside of their, uh, the realm of their responsibilities and the covenant that they've entered into God by marrying these pagan women. Well, what happens? They started ushering in these relationships they had with all these pagan gods. All of a sudden, they've misprioritized. Right. You know, they're starting to worship these other gods. They're starting to go after these other things. And with that... They, they've got these issues with these wicked people around them, but they've missed the point that they are every bit as wicked as those they're calling out in these na neighboring uh, countries. So Malachi goes on, and he, he connects them to this, this wave of men divorcing their wives for no biblical reason, and ultimately the people are fine with it. But Malachi says, no, it's a betrayal of your covenant with God. You know, and we've got to be careful with this. Honestly, it's no different today than men and women today marrying outside of God's people. Where does it lead when you're unequally yoked? And, you know, you can take me on all day long on this one, but I've seen it. And I know many of you listening to me today have seen it. What happens when something becomes more of a priority than God? I've seen people actually walk away from God for those types of relationships. You know, the fourth dispute begins in Malachi 2. Chapters, uh, verse 17 through chapter 3 of verse 5. You guys still with me out there this morning? Yeah, we're here. Amen. It's, it's great doing this even here rather than doing it in my house. I'm telling you, it's good to get a little bit of feedback. But in Malachi 2, 17 through chapter 3, verse 5, it says, We see with the Israelites accusing God of neglecting, saying, Where is the God of justice? They see injustice and corruption everywhere they look. And they claim that God seems to be doing nothing. So God responds by saying that he will send a messenger, again, who will prepare the people for God's personal return in the day of the Lord. It says he will come like fire to purify his people and remove idolatry and sexual morality and injustice. And this is awesome right here. So that only the faithful remnant is left to become his people. You know, we see this time and time again. For us, it culminated with the Messiah, Jesus Christ which is amazing. And there is a major upside to this book. Amen? Oh, amen. In Malachi 3, verse 6 through 12, we see the fifth dispute. 
It says, because of God's faithfulness and love and longing for a relationship with us, he once again calls his people to turn back to him, which the people say, how can we turn back? So God ultimately confronts their selfishness here in this particular chapter. He shows how they've stopped offering a tithe of their income to the temple. And, you know, a lot of times Malachi 3 is the thing that we go to for tithing. I think we're already seeing this morning, there's a heck of a lot more in this book than those few verses. Amen. But that word tithe means a tenth. It's the amount of their income and produce that the Israelites were annually to donate to support the temple and its priests. And I do want to pause here for a second when it comes to our South Bay Church to really commend each and every one of you. It's been amazing to me to see the degree of heart and love that you have for so many outside of this congregation. Yeah. I mean, making your weekly pledge, unlike what we saw here with the Israelite, bringing their blemish, their leftovers to God. Uh, the fact that we made our mission uh, contribution right. and what that represented to the people in Lebanon and the, uh, or excuse me, the Middle East and Mexico and Central America and the Nordics. I mean, it's amazing to see this outpouring of love which again, it, it shows me this is a heart matter. Right. It's not about just checking boxes because it would be very easy not to check those boxes. Uh, the Department of Family and Children's Services, what we've done there, the adopt a family, what we do at Christmas time. There's so many ways that you guys meet so many needs outside of your own, and that is very incredibly commendable. Amen? Amen. But it does beg to ask. And then again, we need to make sure we do that individual assessment of our own situation. Where is my heart in regards to giving? Have I been faithful what I've been blessed with when it comes to being consistent with the offering? Have I pledged to give weekly? And am I being sacrificial or is what I'm bringing or giving contemptible? Do I give cheerfully with a grateful heart? These are all good questions we need to ask ourselves. And ultimately, it will expose our hearts for whether or not we're in a good place or a bad place. And once you know where you are, it's made it a little bit easier to course correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, with, uh, when it comes to Malachi, bottom line, God sees and knows all as concerned about where we are on a heart level. We know from Malachi and from the book Nehemiah that the people were neglecting their responsibility, so the temple was falling into disrepair. And it was twofold. Some people was giving, others was like, you know what, I can get my hands dirty. We got all these plebes out here that can take care of that. I, I no reason to use my talents or ability. Let them take care of it. And these are again, they're they're hard issues. So God confronts them and he says that he wants to bless them with abundance, but only if they're going to be faithful. And again, just as Dave talked about last week, obviously Dave had an impact on me last week. He wants the proper response, but he wants their hearts as well. In the sixth and final dispute, in verses 14 through 15. The people accuse God and say that it's absolutely pointless to save him or to serve him. And what, they, what we observe is what they perceive as, again, you know, the, these wicked people around them succeeding in life, which not realizing that they are every bit as guilty as these other individuals, that God does nothing. So God's response for the first time in the book here is not a speech, but God closes out chapter 3 with a promise of hope to his faithful. Malachi the prophet was sent to assure the people that God still loved them and wants them as his people. And this is God's heart. That's why we're here. That's why we've been created. God's heart is to love, to forgive, and restore his people. He wants that relationship so much so that he came down in the flesh to die to maintain that relationship. At the same time, but with that, he demanded honor, respect, and faithfulness from them as well. 
So God gave the people a warning that judgment would come to purge them of their sins unless they repented. And then God went on and inspired Malachi to share a special promise God would grant to those who would be his faithful, obedient, loving people. And the reward, the promise, was an eternal place in his kingdom. So in Malachi 3, verse 6, or Malachi 3, verse 16 through 18, says, Then those who feared the Lord, this is amazing to me. I, I've never seen this before until studying out this book. It says, Those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. You know, I mean, the fact that the Lord, our God, listens and hears us today. You know, sometimes I can feel that God is too far removed or indifferent to how I feel personally. Mm. You know, what I'm thinking, mm. what I'm praying. And I experienced this a couple of weeks ago. I cannot believe this. <clears throat> In regards to my granddaughter, Cadence. Come on, and, you know, you think through, and, you know, I've, I've read all the science, and I've been trying to stay on top of this COVID thing to do everything I can to protect our flock and be informed and maintain some semblance of moderation with all of this. And, you know, we constantly hear about how the young ones don't get affected by this. And when she tested positive, I'm thinking, seriously, God, I mean, she's four years old. Why is she dealing with this? And then there was progression. The symptoms kept getting worse. And... You know, she's isolated in her own, own home. We were able to, Jackie gave her her iPad to use, and we would Skype her to try and encourage her during the course of the day. Yeah, she's got her own, uh, <laughs> what is it, email address now or whatever. But, um, you know, and then we had a situation where she started getting this modeling of the skin. And Aaron was challenged by it. I got a little alarmed by it because I started doing some additional research. Man, I went down that rabbit hole. And so I called Dr. Doug Weber, who's one of the elders in our church, and he uh, also, uh, he's the chief over at uh, Glendale, hospital over in Glendale. And he's all, man, you, you need to get her into the hospital. Um, he goes, there's, there's implications to this that are challenging. And for her to be in that ER, I'm thinking, man, God, I would do anything to take this from her. Right. Why is she going through this? And I honestly did not believe I was being heard. But needless to say, this passage shares with us that God does care about us. He does right. care about me. And he's much more aware of what's going on down here than I think we give him credit for. Right. Yeah. In verse 16, it went on and says, Those who feared the Lord talked with each other, mm -hmm. and the Lord listened and heard. And you know, I praise God for the brothers and sisters I have in my life. Several of them helped talk me off the ledge. And you know, it, it reassured me, either scripture or otherwise, that God had this. You know, and she's doing great today, thank God. Um, but I think just this, this idea of the talked amongst each other, the Lord listened and heard. And then there's this scroll of remembrance that was written in his, in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. Verse 17, this is really cool. It says, on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. Amen. Not about you, but for me that bears repeating. On the day that I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And then verse 18, and you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. So we have this, this short interlude here about this faithful remnant, this faithful group of men and women in Israel, people who feared the Lord. 
And they love to get together and they talk about how to honor God and serve him. And to me, this was just this incredible insight is what we have in our small groups, our Bible talk, our faith family. That brothers and sisters come together and they talk about how to honor God and to serve him. But beyond that, even though it's the right thing to do, see God's heart behind this. That God hears and God knows that God ordered that a scroll of remembrance be written for these people so they can read the scroll and they can remember God's heart for them and the promises he would fulfill for them. And we can read that today. So Malachi is reflecting here on this incredibly divine gift of scriptures, how they point us to the past to remember what God has done in order to inspire faithfulness, hope, love for the future, which leads to the conclusion of the book. It picks up and it develops this imagery of the fourth dispute about the coming day of the Lord, that God says that he has an appointed day of purifying judgment that will consume the wicked from among his people. But what the conclusion adds here is the future of this faithful remnant. In Malachi 4, verse 2, it says, But for you that revere my name, those that stood firm, those that stood firm then and those that stand firm today, that's us, his disciples, disciples of Jesus Christ today. Because of them, because of us, the day of the Lord, it's not a threat. It gives us hope. And it's a cause for joy. Amen. And it will be like the rays of the rising sun that bring healing and life and hope to the future. And it's going to be awesome. So Malachi's disputes come down to a close. And there's a little bit more to the book here. Final three verses are not part of the disputes. What they, they function more like here is more of a kind of an a, appendix or an overview, bringing to closure not just Malachi, but the whole collection of the Torah and the prophets. So we started out in chapter 4, verse 4, and what it, what it talks about here is that the reader is called to remember the law of the Torah, of God's servant Moses. And this recalls the story in the laws of the covenant that you find in the first five books of the Bible. And then we hear the summary of the books of the prophets. He says, I will send the prophet Elijah before the day of the Lord who will restore the hearts of God's people. And this conclusion summarizes the Torah and the prophets as a unified account that points to the future, to Jesus. Now, Israel was redeemed by God, and then they betrayed him through the rebellion and hard hearts, breaking the laws of the Torah. But the scriptures anticipate a future day when God is going to send a new prophet, Moses, a new prophet, Elijah, who restore God's people and heal their hard hearts. This is what we've got today, the promised Messiah, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. You know, you think about this, and again, I love the fact that God listened to this group of people as they came together to talk about how to honor them. This is awesome. This is this incredible love story. The account of God's love and the extremes that he would go to to love his people, to plan for them, to plan for a future of hope, of his coming for us, how the coming of Christ. And today we have this hope of the second coming. Amen. So what a glorious day. It will be as we are taken up to spend eternity in this heavenly paradise with God our Father. No more tears, no more injustice, no more poverty, no more church closures, no more masks. <laughs> Only glory upon glory. Let's get there, my brothers and sisters. And that concludes the modern message for us from the book of Malachi. Let's go ahead and pray for our communion. Amen. Father, uh, 
I want to come before you very humbled this morning, uh, just even reflecting on some of the doubts that I had just a few weeks ago, not even being able to get through a prayer to you. I'm so grateful to be able to come before you today with this sense of gratitude uh, by looking to your word, knowing that you prepared all this for us in advance. You prepared it for us to reassure us, to uh, give us hope, to encourage our faith, to help us grow closer and closer to you each and every day. Father, thank you for this scroll of remembrance. Thank you for the ability to live in a country where we have your word readily available. And uh, Father, I pray that I never lose sight of the incredible love that you've demonstrated for us through Christ. Father, we, we wait uh, probably sometimes with a little less patience than we would like to hear those incredible words, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, I love you, and as we take this communion, I pray that we can all reflect on uh, just how grateful we are knowing that not only did you love us, but to the extremes you were willing to go to, to prove to us, to show us that you're our Father in heaven. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.